What's up, Real Church? Thanks for listening to the Real Church Podcast. So today's message title is Wait. I don't know if you're going through something now or if you've ever gone through something or an area of your life where you had to wait on God to speak. I'm sure we all have. This will encourage you. It will encourage you in that place. Check it out. God bless. To give you a little context for this message, maybe you don't know. Um, We shared this in detail last week. So if you want to hear the full story in detail, which is awesome, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast or to the the YouTube video or go to our website um, and listen to last week's message. But the context for this wait is we found out two and a half weeks ago that our building was purchased. Maybe you saw the sold sign out there and talked with the new owners and they said, you have to be out by September 1st. We're like, oh, okay. So began to, I began to pray a day later, I call all of our leadership team and uh, I tell them and, and I, you know, tell them what I believe God has showed me in prayer. And we, we, we got a meeting together uh, two weeks ago as of Sunday. So two and a half weeks ago, we found out two weeks ago as of Sunday, we met together on Sunday night. And man, I shared what I believe God had showed me. And we prayed together. We talked, we discussed, we, we, we went through some things. And man, at the end of that meeting, we prayed and we got done and we were excited. We were stoked. Bible says we go from glory to glory. You guys remember the Glory of Living series? The best is absolutely yet to come. Every, op- every resistance is an opportunity to grow. It's an opportunity to grow stronger, to persevere through it, right? Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So I don't ask what you're going through. I ask what you're growing through. Really, because of that series. So then last week, a week ago, I told the whole story to the church. Once again, if you missed it, go check it out. And I told the church what God told Moses when he was building the tabernacle. Got me messed up. Anyway, sniffling. I told the church what God told Moses when he was building the tabernacle. God told Moses exactly what to do and how to do it. And then he told them to go tell the people. And God said, I'll move on people's hearts and tell whoever is willing to bring what they have. And so Moses went and did the exact same thing, just kind of summarizing what I told the church last week. Moses went, did the exact same thing. And he said, hey, told them what the plan was. God's going to move in your heart all who are willing. So what the people did, they didn't make an emotional decision. They left, they prayed, they sought God, they heard, and then all who were willing participated in the building of the tabernacle. And then we learned also that the resources for next, to plant next season's field are in this season's harvest. You remember the cotton? Plant one seed, you get a cotton plant. From that one plant, conservatively, you get 300 seeds. A lot of times it's much more than that. So then, from one seed, 
or from one field of plants, you can get 300 times the crop because in the principles, the principles of who God is are found in nature. And he wants his people to go from glory to glory. So from season to season, we're supposed to grow and become more like him day in and day out. Amen. So I told you guys the same thing. I said, hey, We just found this out. It needs to be out by September. So we're going to wait. And I want you guys to pray, seek God, and God's going to move on your hearts. At least some of your hearts. And all who are willing, participate. Bring what you have. And God's going to show us what our church is ready for in the next season. And it's not a compulsion thing. The Bible says actually don't give under compulsion, right? It's, it, it's an invitation to participate in what God's doing. And so then my, the word from God to me is wait. Two and a half weeks from the time here, immediately I want to start devising the plan for where we're going, what kind of building we're doing, and all this stuff because, man, I care. It's a big deal. And, but the word from God to me is wait. And it wasn't easy. I'm waiting for this Sunday, right? Tomorrow, it's time to start looking, make a decision in July and, and August. Uh, hopefully, we, we begin to move in as we strip this down and begin to do, just do strip-down services here. And then September, we have our first, Lord willing, we have our first service in the new place, wherever it is. Strip-down service as we renovate and get it ready to impact this city more than ever before. Amen? Yeah. That's the plan. God said, wait. And so, uh, be honest, um, Wednesday and Thursday, it was really hard for me to wait. Wednesday and Thursday, here I am disobeying. I'm, I'm looking at every building I can think of. I'm trying to devise a plan. You know, what if this, then we'll, you know, this will be right. And, you know, we lease here, or maybe we, I don't know what you're going to do, God, but we're just going to trust you and whatever. And I, I'm, the more that I look, the more anxious I get. The more stressed out I get, and I have to get to the end, and I'm just being transparent with you guys, okay? I get to the end, and I, it just it builds up so much. I'm like, all right, wait, wait, wait. You said wait. I'm disobeying. That's where my anxiety and stress come from. I'm trying to control the situation myself and, and be the fix instead of trusting what you say and what you do. I mean, is it just me that has a problem with waiting? So we're talking about the church here, right? But I'm sure that in every one of your lives, or most of your lives at least, there's some area personally that you have to wait on God to speak in, and, and he hasn't spoken yet, and you're like, what's going on? Am I, am, is it just me? No? You guys, okay. Good. I'm speaking to the right crowd. So then this is applicable. Wait. Definition. To stay where one is to delay action until a particular time, to delay action until something else happens. So waiting is a place of readiness and expectation. And thinking in relationship with God, waiting is readiness or expectation for God to speak or act. It's a trust that he's actively involved in that area of your life, really every area, but specifically that area that you're waiting on, a trust that he will move, that he will deliver, that he will save, that he will heal. Amen? The question naturally is, but how? Well, we'll talk about it. 
Waiting is something that most people don't naturally do well. At least, especially the old me. Man, especially the old me. I want what I want and I want it now. And if there's an issue, I want to fix it and I want to find the fix as fast as possible. Ask my wife. She brings an issue to me. I want to fix it and I want to fix it now. And she's like, no, wait, baby, just listen. <laughs> it's amazing how God speaks just like our wives. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to amen that, baby. The problem with this is instant gratification doesn't allow for process. And God's a God of process. So if we want to live by faith, we have to be willing to wait for his process to finish. We have to be willing to wait for his plan to unfold. We have to learn to wait and to wait well. But it's hard to wait when there's pressure. When there's a big obstacle in front of you that demands action right now. So logically we think, wait a second, I got to do this and I got to do this. And wait, if I don't do this and I don't do this right now, then what if this happens? And what if this happens? And what if, does that sound familiar? Anxiety and fear creep in because of potential outcomes. And it's all because the focus was on the issue and how I need to take control and fix it. Fear that it won't turn out like it's supposed to fear of failure. Me taking control is me being the Lord of my own life when Jesus said, I'm your Lord. When we became Christians, we confessed Jesus as Lord, not ourselves. So we confess that we're going to trust him in the midst of the situation. And rejoice no matter what he says or when he says it. And act on his voice. That's faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen? Amen. So sometimes faith makes you wait. I wrote a faith definition of wait. It's to stay where one is or delay action until we are directed by God on what to do and when to do it. Repeat, please. Okay. David John Phillips' um, faith definition of wait. To stay where one is or delay action until we are directed by God on what to do and when to do it. So what do you do while you wait? You do what you know to do. You keep reading your word. You keep spending time with him. You keep praising him in the midst of the storm or the midst of the mountaintop. You keep trusting. You keep meeting together with other people, other Christian believers not getting out of that habit just because of the circumstance. You keep working with all of your heart at your job, not as if you're working for a man, but as, you're, as if you're working for the Lord. You keep being consistent in your relationship, no matter whether you're going through a wilderness or a promised land. You do, you keep doing the last thing that God said to do until he tells you what's next and when to do it. Amen? Huh. But I'm about to lose my house. But my marriage looks like it's over. But this sickness, but you don't understand what I haven't have going on. You couldn't possibly understand. You don't know what I've been through, Pastor. You're right. I don't know what you've been through. I have compassion. I want to alleviate the pain. That's God, that's compassion. Seeing where you are with a desire to alleviate the pain. But 
I don't have to have gone through what you've gone through or understand completely what you've gone through to know the answer. Because truth for every situation is found here. Remain in the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will set you Unless you think your problem is too big for this. That would be pride. Oh, it's just the same thing over and over. Yeah, it's the same thing because his truth doesn't change. Amen? So Psalms chapter 106, verses 12 and 13 again. It says, Then they believed his promises and sang his praise, but they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. Now, I want to I wanna go into some of the context of this verse because I think that it's important to understand what's happening here. And I think that the most important verse in this whole chapter is the first verse, Psalm 106, verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Now, you have to understand that God inhabits the praises of his people, right? When you're praising the Lord, you're taking your focus off of you and you're putting your focus on him. The Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Well, by praising him, you are humbling yourself in his sight because you are lifting him up. Guess what he does? He lifts you up. That's important. Then it says, give thanks to the Lord. When do you give thanks? Why? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. You can't give thanks to the Lord if you don't really believe he's good. Because you'll be driven by your circumstance. You might say it with your mouth, but you can't give thanks from the heart unless you believe he's good in the midst of your circumstance. So in order to do that, I have to take my eyes off the circumstance and put my eyes on him. And if I trust that he is good, then I know that he's going to work all things that come from him are good because he is good. So this situation that I'm going through, like the Bible says, he's going to work it out for my good because I'm his and called according to his purpose. Amen? In that scripture? So then I can thank him even for the tough thing, the pain, the suffering, the stuff that I'm going through right now. I can thank him for that in the midst of that. Because I trust that he is good. So I know that one day I'm going to be looking back at that situation and I'll be like, wow, you know what? You were with me in the midst of it. And because you were with me, I passed through it. And now my testimony is because of that test. Now I'm able to help others that were going through that right now because you brought me through that because my eyes were on you. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. What if we didn't just thank him afterwards? What if we had the faith to see that that would happen and thanked him in the midst of it? That's Christianity. Amen? Oh, then he says, his love endures forever. Endure means to suffer with. Suffer through, to suffer through. His love suffers through with us, our stubbornness. See, that's the hard part. It all goes back to believing that he's good and that he loves you. It all goes back to believing that he's good and that he loves you. If you find yourself in a circle, stuck in a rut, self-pity, guilt, shame, you don't have to be there if you're a Christian. 
The reason that you're there is that you forgot that you're forgiven, that you forgot that he loves you. You forgot that he's good. And now your focus is on you and what you're going through. Nobody loves me and oh, God doesn't love me and all of this, that, and the other. Get your focus off yourself. That is not, that's like a little two-year-old. That's not, that's not who you are. God loves you and he cares for you. The mark of maturity is not, is not how little you fall. The mark of maturity is how fast you get back up. Because you actually believe. You actually believe that you're forgiven. So when you fall, you get back up and you keep walking. And guess what? You'll fall less and less. Because you're spending more time with him. Amen? Amen. I went longer on that verse than I expected. We're going to skip verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Great verses. Amazing verses. But I don't have time for them today. So, with that being said, when you go back and read them, read them through the eyes of the new covenant. Jesus' finished work. If you don't understand that, stick around, you will. Verse 6. Now, for context here, you have to understand that the Old Testament, a lot of times, is a physical reality of what's happening, or a physical, physical example of what's happening spiritually in the New Testament. Okay? So, when I tell you about this, or when you read the Old Testament, a lot of times you can see a lot of the principles that you struggle through. You're not made to struggle through that. You're not supposed to. We have victory in Jesus. But it's a warning and an example on, on how to live spiritually in Christ when you look back. Make sense? Okay, good. Praise the Lord. Verse 6. We, now this is, this is talking about I'll tell you in a second. Verse six, we have sinned even as our ancestors did. We have done wrong and acted wickedly. When our ancestors were in Egypt, they gave no thought to your miracles and they did not remember your many kindnesses and they rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. They gave no thought to your miracles and they did not remember your many kindnesses. So what's going on here? What's, what's it's, what it's referencing is this is the Israelites in Egypt. Okay, they've been slaves for 430 years. And then God sends Moses to deliver them. You know, God works his power and his miracles through his body, through his people. He doesn't have to, but he chooses to. To invite you to participate in the salvation of others. Isn't that cool? So God sends Moses, and uh, then God does these 10 plagues to, to get Pharaoh and the Egyptians' heart ready to release them. And three of the plagues, just to give you three, one of them was a plague of flies. Guess what happened in the plague of flies? The plague of flies, all of Egypt was covered with flies, except for that one little spot where the Israelites were in Goshen. God's people, that wasn't covered with flies. It was God's miracle for his people. Then you got the, later you got the plague of the livestock where the livestock gets sick and, and begin to die. And all of Egypt, all of their livestock was getting sick and dying except for that one little spot, Goshen, where his people were. Man, he covered them miraculously. Their livestock wasn't getting sick and dying. And then you had the, the, the plague of darkness, this thick darkness that filled the whole land. There was no day. But not only that, they couldn't even turn the lights on in their homes because it was a darkness that snuffed out even the light in their home, which wouldn't have been electricity. It would have been fire, right? That's a crazy type of darkness I've never seen before. 
except for that one little spot in Goshen where the Israelites were his people, where they had light in their homes because they were his people, God's kindness and God's miracles. And it doesn't stop there. When they're leaving out of Egypt, the Egyptians are giving them their gold and their silver, and they're giving them beautiful clothes, God's kindness. So they, they were slaves in Egypt, but they left rich. God's miracles and God's kindness towards his people. And just a few days later, they find themselves up against the Red Sea. God is going to test them because he tests us because he wants us to grow. Right? So they find themselves up against the Red Sea back here. And the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, they, they realize, wait a second, our slaves are gone. We got nobody to do the dishes. Nobody to do our laundry. Nobody to do our fields. We need to go get those guys back. Apparently they'd forgotten God's miraculous works too, right? So the Egyptians get their army together, they get their chariots, they get their spears, and they're coming after the, the Israelites, God's people. God's people are backed up against the Red Sea, and they look, and they see the giant before them, and you know what they start doing? The Bible says right there, it says they rebel. You know what they were really doing? They were complaining. They say, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Did you just deliver us? They forgot God's miracles and his kindness and the circumstance was bigger in their head than what God had done for them, than God's goodness and his love to them. And the Bible here calls complaining rebellion. You know why? Because complaining is self-focus. Complaining is magnifying the issue and it's an effect on you instead of praising God in the midst of it. Ooh, that's tough. I mean, I'm preaching at myself right now. Not just you. It's good. So we can walk and, and grow and praise him in the midst of the storm, amen? Let me find where I'm at in my notes. Oh, doorbell, okay. So that's why complaining is so dangerous because complaining is a focus on the problem and not on God who has shown kindness to us time and time again. Complaining causes us to magnify the issue instead of rejoicing knowing that God is with us no matter the issue. So you know what happened? Psalm 106, verse eight, yet he saved them for his namesake to make his mighty power known. His love endured. His love endured forever. In the midst of it, he saved them anyway. Grace, giving them what they don't deserve. How did he save them? Verse nine, he, God, rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up. He led them through the depths as through a desert. Do you know how God rebuked the Red Sea? This says God did it. He did it through Moses. All the people are complaining. God's looking for a man of faith. And Moses, instead of looking at the issue, he looks to God. What do you want us to do? That's faith. I'm looking to him instead of the issue. God, what do you want us to do? And then wait. Remember, the title of the message is wait. What are we waiting for? God to speak. And then we act based on what he has spoken. Moses, God, God said to turn to the Red Sea and lift up your staff. That sounds crazy. It's not logical. We don't live by logic. We live by faith. Sometimes it's logical, sometimes it's not. We just live by what he says, amen? So Moses responded 
in faith, he went, instead of looking at the issue, he looked to God, God spoke, he heard him. That's half of faith. Faith comes by hearing. The other half is walking it out. Without works, faith is dead. So it's hearing then doing what he said, amen? So, so Moses turned around, he lifts up the staff and guess what happens? God moved through Moses and saved the people. The people walked through on dry ground. That's awesome. Guess what? Whatever situation you're waiting in personally, God wants you to take your eyes off of it, understand it, face it. We're not running from it, but we bring the situation to him and say, God, what do you say? And we wait for him to speak. And when he speaks, then we act in faith based on what he has said. And when you do that, not only will God save you through the situation, but he'll also save those around you that are going through the situation. And some that are just watching will see God's goodness and want to come to know him. In every area of your life, in every realm, whether it be your home or your job, God is looking for people who are willing to live, to play, and to work by faith in relationship with him so that as you go, he can make disciples through you because he is showing his mighty power through the way that you live. Remember Christ in you, the hope of glory? God's hope of showing his character and his nature throughout the world is putting Christ in you so that others can see him through you. Amen? That's awesome. Verse 10, he saved them from the hand of the foe. From the hand of the enemy, he redeemed them. The waters covered their adversaries. No, no one of them survived. How did God save them? How did God take out their adversaries? The same way. Moses, stretch your staff out over the water. Moses had to, all right, God, we're to the other side. What do we want to do? So he went back to God. Moses spoke. I mean, God spoke. Moses heard and Moses responded and the waters took out all of their enemies. That's pretty cool. Verse 12 and 13. Then they believed his promises and sang his praise. You know, it's pretty easy to believe God's promises and sing his praise when he delivers you. When you just got off of a mountaintop, and it's pretty easy to believe God's promises and sing his praise. Man, when he just did some miracle or he just healed you or you just saw, had this great service at church and it was awesome and wonderful, it's pretty easy to believe God's promises and sing his praise. But what happens when you go to church and you encourage because you're around believers, we're supposed to encourage one another and build each other up and, and share testimonies. And, and by testimony, we overcome the enemy, you know, because they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So we hear what God's doing in you. And it builds my faith. And it's awesome. That Sunday and then Monday rolls around and the bottom drops out. That problem, that issue happens. And it's like, <gasps> what are we going to do? Are we going to do what the Israelites did? But they soon forgot what he had done and did not wait for his plan to unfold. See, physically, they did what God is warning us spiritually not to do today. On Monday, when the issue happens, I'm going to keep praising him like I did on Sunday, whether I feel like it or not. Because I don't live by my feelings and I don't live. The circumstance in front of me is not my Lord. 
So I'm not going to act like it's my Lord anymore and bow to the circumstance and begin complaining and blaming God and feeling sorry for myself and pitiful. That's a lack of belief, a lack of understanding that God is good and he loves you. So he's going to do whatever it takes in order to develop you in you, the character necessary to carry out the call he has for you. So you can trust that everything that happens in your life, whether God caused it or the enemy meant to take you out through it, God is going to turn it around and use it to develop you and use it for your good so that you can show his good everywhere you go. Amen? Cool. That's the majority of the message. I don't want to walk in that circle of forgetfulness that I'm only as good as my circumstance looks. My circumstance is not my Lord. I know you are good, Jesus. Your love endures forever. I want to have the heart that when I'm tempted to complain, I go to my God and say, God, I'm tempted to complain. Help my unbelief. Let me see you. Let me hear you. I choose to wait. I choose to stand. I choose to trust, even when it's hard. Because you're good. I want to invite the band to come back up. I want to invite you guys to stand, please. If you can't stand for some reason, you don't have to. And I want to invite you guys to respond. What does that look like? Is there... Let me ask this first. How many of you guys, this message hit home? <laughs> okay, praise the Lord. So that tells me there's an area that we need to learn. I know for me, it's multiple. We need to learn to wait better. We need to learn to trust his voice. We need to learn to hear his voice in that area. And then we need to learn to walk by faith based on what he said, Amen. So I want to pray for you as a whole. If you guys would just, if you, if you don't mind lifting your hands, it's just a sign of surrender. It's saying, I'm surrendering this area of my life to you. In the Old Testament, they went before a king. They'd lift their hands as a sign of surrender. You're in authority over me. And that's, you're not lifting your hands to me. You're lifting your hands to the king of kings. You're saying you're in authority over this area of my life. I'm giving you control. I'm going to stop complaining about it. I'm going to praise you in the midst of the situation. Amen. I'm going to pray for you. Father, Lord God, I pray that chains are broken or areas of selfishness are, are broken, areas where people only see the problem, areas where think, people think, how could I see anything different? You don't know what happened. Lord God, I pray that they see your goodness in the midst of that. I'm going to ask you to do something a little crazy. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. I, don't want you, I want you to tell God right now what the issue is. Go ahead. Now I want you to ask him this. Say, Heavenly Father.
Say it out loud. Heavenly Father, where are you in the midst of this? He's there. Some of you might have heard that in your mind, in your spirit. I'm here. I'm there. Some of you may have saw Jesus right there with you. You know what he wants you to do? He wants you to take your perspective and shift it to the fact that he's with you. Philippians 4, 6, 7, and 8 says, do not be anxious about anything. You know how you cannot be anxious about anything? The sentence right before it. The Lord is near, realizing that he's with you in the midst of it. That's half of it. I say, Father, help me to believe that you're good and that you love me. Now I'm going to challenge you to do something maybe you've never done before. I want you to thank him for what he's doing in the midst of that situation in you. Begin to thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you. It takes faith to do this. It takes pride to sit there like a bump on a log and not do anything. What you're saying is, God can't fix this. Maybe there's people in here, as I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus and hearing God's voice and all of this stuff, you're like, this is cool. I've experienced love like I've never had before at this church. This is awesome and wonderful, but... I don't know God like you guys are talking about. A relationship with God doesn't come through your effort. It comes through receiving Jesus' effort, what he did for you. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all your sin. Past, present, and future. So when you get all guilty and shameful and don't go to God in the midst of your sin, you're saying, I don't believe you forgave me. But when he looks at you, he sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you've given your life to him, if you've believed on his name, if you've confessed him as Lord. So when he looks at you, he sees the goodness of Jesus credited to your account. That takes faith to believe that. To walk that out, it takes faith. It takes unbelief in order to not go to him in the midst of your sin. And guess what happens when you believe you're the right standing of God in Christ Jesus? You start right doing. Righteousness is the two. It's right standing, which leads to right doing. If you ain't right doing, you don't believe you're right standing. So Lord, say, everybody say this, Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you. Now let me ask you this. If there's anybody in here that has never experienced a relationship with Jesus, and you're like, man, I want to. Today is the day. Something's pulling me. Something's drawing me. I want to, to ask God into my life to know him personally. Is there anybody that would raise their hand and say, that's me? Unashamed, that's me. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Anybody else? Awesome. Jerry and Heidi, would you raise your hand? Okay. Would you go to them? You could raise your Come on. Jerry and Heidi are going to lead you into a relationship with Jesus. Yeah, give a big old hand.
Praise the Lord. So we've put your personal stuff before God. Now, in the midst of the church stuff, what's going on as far as us finding a new place? We put it before him. The process was, ask you guys to go and pray about it. Not make it an emotional decision. God put it on your heart and everything that's been given over the past week and up to the end of the day, today, we're gonna it's make an under, it'll help us to understand what our church is ready for, for what's next. That's it. You can continue to give afterwards if you'd like, but just an understanding of, of what our church is ready for. And I just, I believe the best is yet to come. Regardless of what happens, whether we're able to buy or, or lease or whatever size space, we're gonna rejoice because he's good. We're not placing an expectation on him. It's a sense of expectancy that he loves us. And I can't wait to see what happens next. So we're going to worship. We're going to sing a song, Oh, How He Loves Us. If you haven't given yet and you would like to, to building fun for lack of a better words, but for the next place that God's going to put us so that we can sow more seed and reap a bigger harvest and be a part of that. Let's say it like that. Amen. If you, would, if you haven't yet already, uh, or you haven't already and you'd like to be a part of that, you're invited to during this song. Um, if you want to give here in the giving boxes or if you'd rather give online, you can do that online too. Or if you're like, I don't have it together, I'd rather, I'd rather do a pledge. You can do that too. That's fine. Just, just know uh, we're trusting you in that because we're making decisions based on that. Amen. So let me pray for you. Lord God, I just thank you that our eyes are on you and we trust in you. Lord God, you're the one that spoke real church into existence. So you're the one that's responsible for keeping it forward, keeping it moving forward. And Lord God, we thank you that the best is yet to come. Our eyes are on you, God. Lord, we trust you. And we're thankful that we get to participate in what you're doing throughout the world and what you're doing here. Lord God, we're thankful for the next season that's coming. Lord, we're thankful that we're growing through this. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you. Thank you for tuning in today to the Real Church Podcast. I pray that you walk away from today encouraged with a deeper understanding of how much God loves you. If you'd like to connect with us, we can't wait to reach out to you and pray for you. You can go to www.realchurch.us slash connect. And then also, if you would like to give to what God is doing in and through our ministry, you can do so at www.realchurch.us giving, or you can text any amount to 84321, and then just search in the link that comes up, search for Real Church Global. God bless you, and the best is yet to come.